Good morning, church. Good morning, church online. Do you know that God is for you? Come on now, I can't hear you. That's right. You sang it, you repeated it a bunch of times. God is for you, God is with you. I just sent a text to uh, Cindy McMahon just before I came on out here, and her mom has been battling COVID uh, for, for several weeks, and uh, Cindy said that they may be saying goodbye to their mom later today, and I just sent her those words that God is with you, and God is for you, and God is walking with you even in the valley of the shadow of death. So can we say a prayer for that family right now? Gracious God, I pray for Cindy and her mom, Barbara. We pray that you would surround them with your holy presence, that they would know that you are with them, that you are for them, and that you're walking with them, and you've prepared a place for those who trust in you and love you. Just bless that family right now, and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It is so good to be with you this morning. I'm living in the dream. I hope that's part of your testimony that you are living in the dream. To be standing on this stage and sharing God's love with you is living in the dream. To be sharing this stage with this incredible worship band, uh, worship team is living in the dream. To be able to follow last week Grace Marie, her great sermon and living in the dream. And, And to see what a team that God is building here from a preaching perspective, the, the addition of Chad, it took a year um, for our team to uh, come together, and I think it's the strongest it's ever been uh, with all the folks on our team preaching. So I'm living in the dream, and I feel blessed and honored to be with you here today. Let's give that team a hand. They just, they're doing a great job. A shout out to our personnel committee, staff parish relations committee that's been a year uh, searching to, to, they're resilient, right? That's our, it's our, it's our theme. God is resilient. He never stops being with us. <clears throat> our teams are resilient. Uh, what does resilience mean? I, I wrote this definition down or I captured this definition. Resilience is the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties and toughness. The process of adapting well in the face of adversity, tragedy, or significant sources of stress. Is there a more important word for COVID-19 right now than resilient? You know, we need to be a resilient people. I don't know about you, but I feel like my, my ears are stretching, you know. We're all going to become Smurfs whenever we take our mask off, you know. We just need to be resilient. Wear the mask. <clears throat> try to follow guidelines. And this too will pass, right? <clears throat> Get rid of this in my throat here. I want to read you James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4 about resilient. James writes, consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. Now, none of us here consider that a gift, right? But Paul says it's a gift when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So so don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed not deficient in any way. Now, James might have had in mind when he wrote these words, uh, Joseph. Joseph lived those words. He was called by God to do something great, but it took a while to get there. It took a long time to accomplish and to live into his dream. 
I'd like you to stand if you would. I'm going to read you part of Genesis 37. This is kicking off our sermon series on resilient. Six weeks looking at the life of Joseph. This is how it began in chapter 37. One night, Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Now, that means they already hated him. It was just hating him worse now. Hated him more than ever. Joseph said, listen to this dream. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before my night. Probably not smart to tell that to somebody who hates you, right? His brothers responded, so you think you'll be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Friends, there'll be people who will hate you because of your dreams. Soon Joseph had another dream, and again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I have had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers, but his father scolded him. Sometimes your parents won't get your dreams. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. See, sometimes when we tell people our dreams, we plant the word of God in their heart. Joseph or Jacob wondered what the dreams meant. Then in verse 18, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in, in the distance. As, they, as he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of the cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Gracious God, we want you to hold back those who would destroy your dreams. Father God, may your dreams be realized in every life in this room. Give us ears to hear your truth, a heart to perceive how much you love us, a mind big enough, again, to see the possibilities you have for us. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. You may be seated. Here comes the dreamer. Whenever our sermon team put together this sermon on resilient and they gave me the first sermon. I said, this is good because I've always been a dreamer. I've always dreamed beyond where I was. And I give God all the credit for that. What, what are dreams? Dreams are a natural and normal function of our sleep cycles that God can use in supernatural ways. Now, not all of our dreams are from God. Some of them are because we ate too much pizza last night. But also be aware that the evil one can plant some negative thoughts in our brain as well. So it's important for us to know what are the dreams that God wants to use in supernatural ways. Harriet Tubman was one of those people that God gave dreams. 
as she dreamed of escape routes of the Underground Railroad. She asked God, and God spoke to her powerfully through dreams, showing her in her dreams maps and safe houses that would guide slaves to freedom. Now, some of you may have heard of the theory of relativity that Albert Einstein came up with. Now, and maybe somebody in the room could probably explain that to some of us. But did you know that Albert Einstein's theory of relativity came from a dream? He was dreaming that he was sledding down a mountain, ever increasing speed until he nearly reached the speed of light. He noticed in his dream the stars looked different. And this observation led him to the mathematics in which he figured out his famous formula, the theory of relativity. Larry Page was a man who, as a 22-year-old student at Stanford, had a dream. And he dreamed that he downloaded the entire internet onto his computer. And that in his dream, he could see links and he could see logarithms. And when he woke up, he wrote down what he had dreamed. He spent a year working on it and perfecting what would soon become Google. That's a pretty lucrative dream there. Joel 2.28 said it this way, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And these words from Job 33, specifically about divine dreams, he speaks or God speaks in dreams, in visions of the night, When deep sleep falls on people as they lie in their beds, he whispers in their ears and terrifies them with warnings. He makes them turn from doing wrong. He keeps them from pride. He protects them from the grave, from crossing over the river of death. Have you ever had one of those dreams that was a scary dream? (laughs) And, And you woke up and you were so thankful that you were just dreaming? How many times has that dream given you the thought is, I don't ever want to do that. I don't want to make that mistake. I don't want that to happen. I believe there are times that God warns us in our dreams to leave something alone, to walk away from a situation, to just ignore that. Don't ever let that happen. Don't ever make that mistake. Don't ever go there. I believe that divine dreams can be warnings to wake us up. Divine dreams can be warnings to turn us around. Divine dreams can be prophetic, pointing to some future action, something that we should be doing down the road. Joseph in the Old Testament had a prophetic dream, something that was going to happen into the future. Joseph in the New Testament had a prophetic dream. When the angel came to him and told him it was okay for him to marry his betrothed wife who was expecting because she was carrying the baby Jesus, a prophetic dream can be powerful. But also divine dreams can bring assurance. They can bring confirmation that God is real. Now, if you've ever had that dream where you just, you woke up with at peace because you had had something that had comforted you, something that had given you more assurance. I've been reading about the dream phenomenon that is happening in countries that are predominantly Muslim, where where Muslims are are having dreams 
about Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is coming in dreams and conversions are happening. I was reading a story about a Persian man that was fleeing Iran. He ended up in a migrant camp. And in the camp, he had a dream. And he saw someone dressed in white who raised his hands and said, stand up and follow me. And the Persian man said, who are you? And the man in white replied, I am Alpha and Omega. I am the way to heaven. And no one can go to the Father except through me. This scared this Persian man, so he, he sought out a Christian pastor in the refugee camp. He told him about the dream. He says, who is this? Why did they ask me to follow them? And, and what does he want? And this pastor in the migrant camp held up a Bible. and said, have you ever seen one of these? And he said, no. Do you know what this is? No, what is it? And the pastor turned to Revelation and began to read. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And that Iranian Persian began to cry and said, how can I accept him? How can I follow him? So the pastor led him in a prayer and he invited Jesus Christ into his heart. The pastor gave him a Bible and says, now take this back to the camp with you, but hide it because this will not be very popular among other Muslims. And he said to the pastor, this Jesus I met today is much more powerful than any Muslim I know. And a few minutes later, he came back with 10 other Muslims who wanted a Bible also. You see, God can do those kinds of dramatic actions through dreams. Now, we don't talk about that a lot, but God is moving in some mighty ways. See, divine dreams will disrupt and they have the power to change our lives. Now, hear this. They change our lives so that we can change the world. God doesn't just give you a dream to change your life. He gives you a dream so your life can change, so you can change the world. It brings us back to the story of Joseph. You know, Joseph's father was Jacob. If you know the backstory, Jacob fell in love with Rachel, but his father-in-law betrayed him and ended up with Rachel's sister, Leah. And Rachel was more beautiful and Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. And it created a lot of dysfunction. It created a lot of problems. And I would just say this, and Bill Baltnat and I were sharing notes on Friday. In the Bible, there are numerous men who had more than one wife, and it never worked out well. You look at David, you look at Solomon. I believe the Bible offers countless case studies showing that marriage designed by God that lasts a lifetime is between one man and one woman. That's how God designed it. It didn't work well for uh, uh, Jacob. Uh, Leah gave Joseph, uh, gave uh, uh, Jacob seven sons while Rachel birthed just two sons. And Rachel died in giving birth to Benjamin. And, and, and so in this whole saga of dysfunction, J Jacob loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. Jacob loved Joseph more than he loved his other sons. And we read earlier about his sons hating Joseph, the brothers hating Joseph. Why did they hate Joseph? Because Joseph was a favorite son. Joseph was put on a pedestal. Joseph was given a coat of many colors. You know, that coat of many colors that, uh, that, that, Jacob gave his son was a show coat. 
It wasn't a work coat. It was a show coat because the, the, the sleeves came all the way down here and, and, and the tail came all the way to the ground. But a work coat had no sleeves and it came to about right here. So his brothers knew that, that he was just for show. And they saw him in that context and they began to hate him. And all this dysfunction was going on in this family. Yet God had a message and God had a plan. You know, I just wanna say a word about Jacob and Rachel. You know, they pampered Joseph and gave him a coat of many colors. But somewhere along the way, they planted in him a seed to trust in God. That when times got tough, he would need a resilient faith. And parents in the room and watching online, all of us make mistakes as parents. Can I get an amen to that? We all get it wrong sometimes. But if we can plant a seed, the seed of faith, resilient faith in the life of our children, we'll get that right. And we trust that one day they will return to that and, and live into that and live for that. Joseph received his dream in the midst of dysfunction, the dysfunction of a passive father. Can I speak to that a minute? I see my good friend Steve Arneson over there. I'm sure you deal with that a lot. A passive father. You know, Jacob was passive in his relationship with his father-in-law. Jacob was passive in his relationship with his wives. He was passive in his relationship with his sons. And it allowed dysfunction to spread. If there's any dads in the room, and there are, dads, we need to be straightforward. We need, remember last week we, last three weeks we had this sermon series on tough talks. See, see, Jacob never had a tough talk with anybody. And it led to a whole bunch of dysfunction. So if you missed that sermon series on tough talk, Go back and grab it because it helps alleviate dysfunction. You know, the brothers saw Joseph coming and because of all the years of hatred and all the dysfunction, they conspired to kill him. That's what hate does. Hate's gonna lead to destruction. If anybody in the room here is struggling with hate in your heart, you gotta confess it to God because it'll produce within you a pattern of, of dysfunction and distrust and despair and despising anyone that has success. People with hate in their heart don't want to see anyone else have dreams. And his brothers didn't want Joseph to live. They wanted to kill him, but most of all, they wanted to kill his dreams. But before they could do the awful deed, they saw this caravan coming by on the way to Egypt. And they got a little bit guilty got a little bit convicted. So instead of killing their brother, they sold Joseph into slavery for 20 shekels of silver. Then they took that coat of many colors and dipped it in lamb's blood and told their father, again, this is what hatred does. This is what dysfunction does. It tells lies after lie after lie. And they told their father that the favored son had been eaten by wild animals, and it broke his father's heart. Now, let me give you one important point this morning. One, we'll give you several, but I'll give you this important point. Write it down. Don't let dysfunction determine your destiny. Don't let dysfunction determine your destiny. 
Don't believe that dysfunction makes you unloved by God. Don't think that dysfunction makes you unusable to God. Do not use dysfunction as a crutch. Do not use dysfunction as an excuse. God is bigger than dysfunction. Somebody say amen to that. God's dreams are bigger than dysfunction. You know, as I began to look at this story, and again, our team did a wonderful job putting this series together. I began to make a correlation between my personal story and the story of Joseph. Some of you know my story, others of you perhaps don't, but I grew up in a broken home. My mother and dad had me and my sister Yvonne. When I was five years old, my dad was in the Navy and social services came to remove us from my mother's home and placed us in foster care. That was the last time I saw my mother, my birth mother. My dad remarried when I was seven and I began to have some dreams that maybe life could be okay because I had seen nothing but dysfunction for those first seven years. But then when I was 14, my dad and my stepmom got a divorce. And once again, my dreams were kind of shattered. I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. My sister responded by running away from home. And by the grace of God, I ran into a relationship with Jesus Christ that changed my life. Jesus Christ gave me hope and it began to plant a dream in my life. God called me out of dysfunction and I never looked back. I saw that there was something different about life. It did not have to be a life full of dysfunction. It could be a life full of dreams, dreams that God had for my life. Now, my sister and I took completely different paths in our lives. She went one way, followed a path of dysfunction, and I went and followed a path based on God's dream. My sister, who I don't have a relationship with, posted something on my wife's Facebook page about 10 days ago. And, and I, I didn't really pay a lot of attention, but when I started working on this sermon, I said, I need to go back and look at that post. And what she posted was, she says, I have a bunch of half-brothers and sisters, some that I've met and some that I haven't met. And she posted then an obituary of one of the half-brothers who had died, who was my half-brother. And so I, out of curiosity, I went and looked at the obituary. And I'd always known that there were other half-brothers and sisters that our real mother had had later on. But for the first time I saw it, I saw their names in print. I read their names out loud. And the obituary told me that I have 11 half-brothers and sisters that were born uh, to my real mom. Uh, and, and I also learned that eight of them had been incarcerated by the state of Indiana and continued to live in a, in a world of dysfunction. And I began to see the similarities between my life and Joseph's life. I'd never, I'd never made the connection before. I also have a half-brother and sister from my dad and my stepmom that I have a good relationship with. So there's 13 of us. I did not let dysfunction determine my destiny with God. And if there's anybody here today that's listening online or here in the room, 
Don't let dysfunction determine your destiny. That with God's help, you can rise above dysfunction. It's, it's a miracle. It's the grace of God in my life. Now, the other thing I just I drilled down on a little bit was that I had never felt led to go back to reconnect with all that part of my life. Sometimes I felt guilty about that. Sometimes I wondered whether I should do. And I got, a, I got an email one time in, inviting me to do that. I talked to Steve. Steve, if you remember, you walked down the aisle, one, uh, walked down the aisle, walked down the hall one evening, and I stopped and asked you. And your words to me were pretty profound. You said, Jeff, you spent 50 years getting out of dysfunction. Why in the world do you want to go back into dysfunction? I took his advice and continued to, to, to live into the dream that God has for me. Joseph didn't go back into dysfunction either. He stayed in Egypt. He, he continued to complete his destiny that God had for him. Now, eventually, we'll see at the end of the story that his family came to him and God then revealed the ultimate point of his dream. So my friends, don't let dysfunction determine your destiny. Second thing here this morning, don't let doubters destroy your dreams. Anybody ever doubted you? <laughs> Anybody ever told you you're crazy? I've had a few dreams that people said, hey, Pastor Jeff, you're crazy. I believe that Joseph told the wrong people his dreams. You can't trust everybody with your dreams. It caused Joseph to get sold into slavery. I want to say a word to young people in the room today. I heard this talk whenever I was 15, 16 years old as a young believer who was following God's dream, wanting to live into God's dream, wanting to live into God's purpose. And they shared with me the words of the Apostle Paul that said, Watch out, be careful. Don't be unequally yoked with someone. If you get yoked together with the wrong person, they can destroy your dreams. And so I took that to heart. And I prayed and sought that God would lead me to the right person that I could spend the rest of my life with who would not derail my dreams, not destroy my dreams, but enhance my dreams. And I remember whenever Lynn and I were thinking about getting married and we were walking on the beach in Myrtle Beach, and I shared with her my dream. I was going to be a pastor and going to do something great for God. I don't know what it was, but was that okay with her? And she smiled and said, yes. And I said, okay. You know, but, but just think if, 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 uh, if you fast forward into what happened next, and we'll talk about it next week, that Joseph had an encounter with Potiphar's wife and he refused to have the relationship. He ran away from that, that temptation had he not, his dream would have been derailed. His dream would have taken a big turn. So, so young people, listen to these words. These are from 2 Corinthians 6 from the message. Do not become partners with those who reject God. Why? Because they will derail your dream. How can you make a partnership out of right and wrong? That's not a partnership, that's a war. Anybody here in the room relate to that, that you maybe were in a relationship and it became a war? Is light best friends with dark? Does Christ go strolling with the devil? Do trust and mistrust hold hands? Why does Paul say this? Because, hear this, the devil is a dream dasher. He's all about dashing your dreams. 
He comes to steal, kill, and destroy your dreams. And he'll use whatever means he can. And sometimes he uses relationships to destroy dreams. Next this morning, don't let dreams die because they don't make any sense. Joseph's dreams didn't make any sense to his brothers. He didn't make any sense to his father. Probably didn't make any sense to himself, but God's dreams made sense to the people they were intended for. I want you to hear that. God's dreams make sense for the people they're intended for. Growing up in a little small town in Kentucky, the dreams that God had for me wouldn't have made sense to the that small town in Kentucky. I didn't know that. I didn't know what the dreams were, but God did. And God said, if you'll follow me, I've got some dreams for you. I've got some plans for you. And it'll be about changing the world. So don't let your dreams die because they don't make sense. And then don't let detours derail your dreams. Joseph had all kinds of dead ends, sold into slavery, in a pit, falsely accused, put in jail. But he eventually became the man that God used to save an entire nation from starvation. God had a better plan, but it took many years for that to be found out. I love this statement. You see, with God, this is always true. A setback is a setup for a comeback. You can write that one down. A setback is a setup for a comeback. And if your dreams have been derailed by bad choices, your, your dreams have been disrupted by dysfunction, God can take that setback and make it a setup for a comeback. How do I know that's true? Because on Friday, the world saw the biggest setback that it had ever experienced when Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross. That's a pretty big setback. God's son dead on the cross but it was a setup for a comeback because on Easter Sunday, he resurrected. Amen? A great come, the greatest comeback of all time, right? The resurrection. Some of you in this room are praying for a comeback. You've had setback after setback after setback, but God is setting you up for a comeback. You gotta invite him into your life. You gotta include him in your dreams. You gotta, you gotta say, I wanna follow you, God. I want to do something I never thought possible. He's setting you up for a comeback if you will trust in him. And don't let your dreams cause you to miss God's dreams. I'm guessing that everybody in this room, everybody watching online has a dream. We all got dreams. But don't let your dreams cause you to miss God's dreams. How do you discern God's dreams how do you dis discern divine dreams? Let me give you real quickly these things. Dreams from God will always align with scripture. God will not give you a dream that doesn't align with scripture. God's dreams will always be confirmed by the Holy Spirit. You'll know in your heart, this is the right thing. God's dreams always glorify God and not yourself. It's not about you. It's about God. God's dreams always change the world, not just your world, my world was rocked by Jesus Christ. He changed my world, but he did it so I could be an agent of change for the world. And God's dreams, divine dreams, are always bigger than you. You can't accomplish it without God's divine intervention. Bigger than you. And then God's dreams always, always, always 
have eternal benefits. It always impacts someone else's eternity. It's going to impact your eternity. I want to just say a word of thanks to the people that God put in my life at the age of 14 that impacted my eternity. My eternity was impacted by other people. And guess what? He's called you and me to impact someone else's eternity. What's the greatest gift we can give anybody? The gift of Jesus Christ, which will impact their eternity. It'll change their world. So resilience is the process of adapting well in the face of adversity, tragedy, or significant sources of stress. My friends, if somebody here today watching or in the room is in a pit, you've been betrayed, somebody's out to destroy you, somebody's out to railroad you, somebody's out to tear you down, you're finding yourself in a pit of dysfunction and you think you can't get out. Let me give you a testimony. Yes, you can. God can take you out of any pit you find yourself in. His grace is sufficient. His power is big enough. I want to call you today as a church to dream bigger. If you stop dreaming, I want to call you to dream again. I want to call you to invite God into your dreams this morning. Now, I have a lot of dreams from time to time, and it seems like not many of them are divine. Anybody say amen to that? I'm looking for a divine dream, aren't you? So last week, God gave me this dream. I'm working on a sermon. I'm talking to the staff and about the need for evangelism more than ever because people are hurting. People are helpless. People feel hopeless. And what a great time to share Christ with people. So I have this dream the most vivid dream I've had in a long time. And I'm talking to Rick Warren. Rick Warren is the pastor of the Saddleback Church in San Diego, one of the largest churches in the U.S., one of the most impactful pastors in the U.S. in the world. And I'm having a conversation with Rick Warren about coming to Mount Horeb to speak. And the dream gets real specific. I'm supposed to, to tell Rick he gets to stay on the beach because we have a a member in the church who has a nice beach house. And you're going to stay for seven days at the beach after you speak at Mount Horeb. And then the, 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 the Lord gives me the name of a member whose name is Tony Dickey. And Tony Dickey's sister, Terry Hutchins, lives in San Diego and is a member of Rick Warren's church. And says, you need to call her, well, call Tony first and get the number. And then you're going to call her and ask her, that put you in touch with Rick Warren. Because I don't know Rick Warren, you know. I'm a little peon pastor, you know. You know? In fact, I found out that Rick Warren has 100 people that read his emails. I got no one. It was just me. <laughs> but isn't it amazing? The guy gave me this dream, so I, I called the person in the church who's got a house on the beach, and they said, absolutely. Rick Warren can stay at my house for a week. I called Tony. He says, yeah, here's my sister's number. And I called his sister, and I told her the, the, the dream. Well, she's a believer, and she says, this is amazing. She started crying. She says, I'm going to get you in touch with Rick Warren. We're going to have this conversation. Now, here's how things come full circle for me when I know that's not a coincidence. I'm talking to Terry, and she's babysitting her five-year-old grandson. Her five-year-old grandson has cancer, and they're getting ready to take him out for some treatment, and she says, would you pray for my five-year-old grandson. I said, what's your five-year-old grandson's name? You know what his name is? Jacob. 
Jacob, who was a daddy of Joseph, who I just spent a week studying about. Something triggered in my heart. I said, that's not a coincidence. That's, that's a God incident. God's speaking to somebody here today. God's speaking to somebody online. Would you pray with me right now? Father God, I thank you that you have dreams for us. Dreams that are bigger than us. Dreams that will require your divine intervention. And Father God, for that person right now who feels like they're in a pit, they've been sold out. They feel hopeless. They feel helpless. Father God, I pray you would hear their prayer. A prayer of, Father, help me. Father, forgive me. Father, rescue me. Father, deliver me. Father, take me home. Give me a new beginning. And Father God, I know, I know that you have the power to do that. Thank you for the people that pulled me out of the pit of dysfunction. Thank you, God, for giving me a dream. Thank you, God, for letting me live into the dream. And thank you for all these people that are part of my dream. But God, I know you're not done yet. You want to blow us away. You want to do something bigger than we ever thought possible. God, move some mountains. Move mountains of, de of doubt. Move mountains of despair. Move mountains of dysfunction right now. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.